Hello and welcome to Sea Trade Cruise Talks. I'm Mary Bond, Group Director, Sea Trade Cruise. In today's episode, I invite you to revisit two conversations I had with expedition leaders Jason Edmonds of Adventure Canada and Anya Erdman Rutten of Poseidon Expeditions. These conversations originally aired during Sea Trade Cruise Virtual Expedition Cruising where I asked each of them about how they became expedition leaders for a cruise operator, their challenges and rewards in the field, and their views on where expedition cruising is headed. Let's start by listening to Jason, who reveals how his early life growing up in an Inuit region in Canada shaped his journey to becoming a cruise expedition leader. I grew up in Nain and Makovic in Nunatsiavut, which is one of the four Inuit regions in Canada. Uh, Nunatsiavut is located within the province of Newfoundland and Labrador. So on the very north coast of Labrador is the Inuit region of Nunatsiavut. Some very small towns. Uh, Makovic has about 450 people, Nain about 1,200. They're really isolated communities. There's no road access, so it's all through twin otters or flying into communities. Or in the short summer period, there's a ferry that goes back and forth. When I was in school, my father ran a tourism outfit and he would take visitors to the Torngat Mountains, uh, now a national park, but at the time it was, it was not yet a national park. And we'd take people on tours, boat charters, and I would go along as the first mate, cook, boat operator, zodiac operator, bear monitor, and sometimes the entertainment. And <laughs> so I, I did that all through all through high school, moved away for university. And years and years later, Adventure Canada partnered with my regional government, the Nunatsiavut government, to offer a training program geared to train guides from our communities. And that training was to take place on board an expedition. So that was kind of my introduction to the expedition cruising world. I fell in love with it and started working with Adventure Canada shortly after. And from there, with my kind of existing skills of bear monitoring, zodiac operating, being Inuit and being able to kind of communicate some of those cultural aspects, I quickly worked my way up to assistant expedition leader where I had been for a long time. And Stefan Kinberg was the expedition leader at the time. He's a Swede, very, very experienced, knew every place we ever saw. He was my mentor as, as we kind of went through, and he took it upon himself to teach me not only locations, but why he made decisions and those things. And when Stefan retired, then it was a natural progression into the role of expedition leader. Well, that's a fascinating story. And um I think it's great that you were able to learn about your surroundings as a child and then proceed to implement everything you had learned into your career. So I think I would say it is an enviable position you're in and uh, one that must be very rewarding, particularly being able to work within those memories you had as a child and and being able to to do that for your everyday job for me it allows me to kind of connect with other inuit 
from the regions, from other regions throughout Canada, allows me to connect to my culture. Well, still, it would be otherwise challenging living in in the city. I think that's the beauty of expedition cruising and and the opportunities it does bring. Mm-hmm. So, tell us a little bit about Adventure Canada, the ships, and where where you operate. I feel extremely fortunate. Uh, Adventure Canada is a small, award winning family company based here in Mississauga. They've been in operation now for almost thirty five years. Matthew Swan started the company and as he retired his uh, three children kind of moved up into his role now they run the company together uh, i was lucky enough to marry into this family cedar swan is my wife and basically we specialize in expedition cruising throughout the northern region atypical i would say for the expedition cruise industry which have both north and south uh, kind of polar exploration we really specialize in in the arctic and subarctic regions um so uh northern arctic canada greenland uh but then also the east coast of canada uh throughout quebec newfoundland and labrador the atlantic provinces and also some of the northern europe destinations iceland the faroe islands and scotland uh, scotland was really interesting to me that's where the swan family is from and that's it became a very personal connection trip um so it it was quite an amazing one for me that was my first kind of international travel as well was to take that expedition great thank you for sharing that so what in your opinion is so special about visiting these off the beaten uh, track places in an expedition cruise ship this one kind of comes up a lot in my opinion expedition cruising is about the destination the vessel that we travel on is just kind of a platform to get us from a to b but it allows us to also offer these amazing educational programs in between locations so we're traveling often very large areas so in those times we're sailing we're able to hold presentations with our onboard experts uh to discuss some of the things we had just seen or are about to see and that combination of of kind of i won't say in class but a presentation style combined with first hand experience tends to be a really great way for people to connect to the place and that's what we're really trying to do and i i think that's of the utmost importance especially today where a lot of people are losing that connection to nature and nature is almost something other there's people and then there's nature whereas people are meant to be a part of nature and we talk a lot about this as an inuk versus people living in the city the landscape is supposed to include people versus the mindset from a lot of people in in cities that land is supposed to be pristine and untouched and when you're visiting these very remote places you see that they're very remote but there's also a long history of people visiting especially in the in the arctic regions you have inuit that were nomadic they visited there they'd hunted there they'd fished there and the whole ideas to bring people closer to that connection to nature. 
Well, expedition cruising certainly is doing that. And I guess that's why it's had a bit of a renaissance uh, in recent years and uh, why it's expanding so much. So what is your biggest challenge when ashore, Jason? This is a good question. As an expedition leader, and I'm sure any others would agree with me, there's never the same challenge. It's always different. You can visit the same place a hundred times, and every time you visit, it's different. The conditions are different. The people you're with are different. Your expedition teams. So the challenges are varied almost all the time. Sometimes it's even the lack of challenges that are your challenge. Uh, I ran one expedition that, I, you know what, the weather was beautiful, everything went to schedule, and it was the most difficult trip I've ever had. <laughs> and basically, you're booking an Arctic expedition. You want to have some of that Arctic experience. And what we find is challenge really bonds the group. So, you know, a shared experience of walking in kind of near blizzard conditions or, or being out in some fun seas in a zodiac. Those kinds of experiences tend to bring people together. So without those experiences, bringing people together is very, very challenging. So I'd say in general, if there was one thing that's common throughout all of the expeditions, trying to find the best possible experience, given that constantly changing environment and visitation is probably the biggest challenge. Okay, well, that, that's very insightful. And Jason, I know you are a professional expedition leader and a professional guide, but I also noted on your CV that you are a bear monitor. And I don't believe I've ever met a bear monitor. So could you please explain what that involves? Bear monitoring was kind of how I came into this role initially. The role of a bear monitor is extremely important, especially if you're traveling to a pretty much high-risk bear country, which in North America in general is a lot of places. Specifically in the Arctic, polar bears, with their little contact with people, they become more wary or more approachable to humans. A bear guard basically uses their knowledge and skills to increase human safety, but as a monitor, there's also a strong conservation aspect to it as well. Um, so the role is to increase human safety and decrease unnecessary displacement or killing of bears. In order to do that, a bear monitor has to have a strong understanding of the bear's behavior, basically trying to understand what the bear is trying to communicate and then use their knowledge and skills to prevent and avoid interactions with bears and if necessary, deter bears to protect human life. That's very interesting explanation as to what it is. And uh, thank you for sharing. I would like to ask you one final question, if I may. And that, I think, will be quite close to your heart from what you've told us already. An important aspect of expedition cruising is the ability to deliver cross-cultural experiences. And please explain how working with local communities closely impacts those communities and also the passengers' experience. When you're traveling in these regions, even straight from the researching these itineraries, it's vital that the communities or people from that region are involved. 
you can't really understand a place or get an idea of a place without that knowledge from people who have lived, had that lived experience in those places. So building community into our, our itineraries, it basically had some sort of realism to the place. So you're traveling to these Arctic regions, you're getting incredible landscapes, huge scale. And for a lot of people that haven't had that experience, it's this otherworldly experience. And the interesting thing is our clients are generally Canadian and often we're traveling in the Canadian Arctic. So we haven't even left our country. And then we visit these communities and that's when it really clicks to people that people actually live here. People often come for different reasons. You know, they want to see a bear in the wild. They want to see a narwhal. They want to see an iceberg. They want to see Northern Lights. That tends to be like a big draw for people. But when they come away from the trip, their highlight is meeting the people that live there, learning their stories, learning a side of history that they never understood before. And that's where the impact is really made. It's not an impact kind of somewhere out there in the wilderness. It's with people. That was Jason Edmonds from Adventure Canada. You are listening to the Sea Trade Cruise Talks. Still to come this month, a curated conversation on celebrating wins around the world. Hear from ports globally where they share their experiences towards successful return to cruising. Now I want to take you to our second interview with Anya Erdmann-Rutten from Poseidon Expeditions, where she provided a fascinating insight to her journey so far and how important it is to set realistic expectations for guests. Well, I have a degree in tourism management here in Germany. And as part of the studies, I was very lucky to get an internship in West Greenland, and that was already in the year 2000. The year after, I was asked to work on ships and then actually became expedition leader very, very quickly afterwards. And today I am employed at Poseidon and I work as a director of expedition operations, which includes I'm looking into the staffing, permitting, itinerary work. But I'm also still lucky enough to be on ships at least three months a year. It is a fascinating job. I'm very happy with it. I told myself I only do it as long as I like it. Now it's 21 years. I still love it and cannot see an end to it. I'm guessing we're lucky to be having you with us today because normally, under normal circumstances, you probably would be on a ship right now. Yeah, I shouldn't say it, but it would also be very nice. <laughs> yeah, okay. So tell us a little bit more about Poseidon Expeditions, its ships, and uh, where it operates. So Poseidon Expeditions is an international company, and we have offices in the U.S., U.K., in Cyprus, here in Germany, where I come from, uh, but also in China and in Russia. We basically have two ships that we operate. One is a smaller expedition vessel with a maximum of 114 guests. And uh, the Sea Spirit is operating during our uh, summer in the Arctic region. That means between May and September, you find her in Svalbard, Franz Josef Land, and Iceland and Greenland. And then she moves down to the Southern Hemisphere and has a season from approximately end of October. And then to March, and then we are in Antarctica, South Georgia, and of course, also the Falklands and Malvinas. 
In addition, Poseidon has another ship that is only running in the summertime that we charter. Very extraordinary. And it's also a leader in this field in icebreaker cruises. And we go to the North Pole, actually, with uh, 50 years of victory. So it's a, with a two-ship, it's very nice to combine the luxury and the comfort, but still be able to do a lot of expeditions and really show the people the nature. That's what they want to see. Okay, well, thank you. Thank you for that. So um, everybody knows uh, what to expect from an expedition cruise. Glaciers, polar bears, whales galore. Only that isn't always possible. So what are the biggest challenges facing an expedition leader such as yourself and your staff in matching and exceeding the guests' expectations in the field? Well, that's actually a very complex topic and we have not so much time, so I hope that I can summarize it as best as possible. Of course, you have to see it from different aspects and I have the privilege to also work from the office side and in the field. So I know the, the differences that both sides sometimes have because a potential guest, of course, he or she wants to see fascinating pictures in the brochures and on the websites. And marketing has to cater so that the guest is actually booking. So you can see a polar bear, like pictures face to face, it seems to be, or with the Zodiac, you are so close to the iceberg, better even nearly drive through it. That's what the pictures show you sometimes, unfortunately. Is it realistic? Well, not really. Is it setting the wrong expectations? Definitely. Do these pictures make the life for the people on board easy that working there? Oh, definitely not. Yeah. So also think that in regard to pictures, they are very important, especially in our days with permitting work, because you have to show also the place where you ask for a permit to operate, like in Svalbard, that you know the guidelines and that you are actually operating and complying with the guidelines. And personally, I believe that honesty is one of the main things actually one has to consider, because what is the use in the sales to tell a guest what they want to hear. But I know already it is not quite possible. Like, what does it make with the people working on the ships? For example, my favorite area is Greenland. And I would love that everybody goes there. But if I talk to somebody and I hear that the person is more interested in polar bears, that that's not the area. So I rather say, please go to Franz Josefland, go to Svalbard. And there you have a potential in really seeing what you want. And that I think it's very important and setting the right expectations in this way. So being honest and straightforward, I think, is something that when I'm working on fairs as well, and I have talks with potential clients, I'm very straightforward. And if I hear that somebody has a wish, and I know because I work on the ship as well, that I cannot fulfill it, I will rather tell you, I would love to take your booking, I would love to take you, but what you want, I cannot fulfill, not in this way as you want it. And it happened more than once that the guests, uh, potential guests, are going further. They book somewhere else where somebody says, oh, yes, of course, we can do everything you want, but it's not possible. And then at the next fair, I know the guests will come to me and say, I didn't want to trust you, but actually it was right. So maybe the next booking I'm going to get with him. And very often I think that in guest expectations, Sales and marketing, they play a much more important role than actually they consider that they themselves have. For example, is it a guest, the person, the right person for this ship? 
What are the expectations? Can we actually, for example, fulfill it? Or how detailed is itinerary descriptions? Because in a final guest evaluation, how good the trip was, yes, you can write in small prints, maybe available, but the guests will see an itinerary and that is what you will be measured on very often in the end. And also what kind of luxury level does a guest really want? Do they want more lectures? Do they want entertainment? I mean, we are in the good position that there is a ship for everybody. And uh, it's just a matter also of the sales team to put the right people actually on the right ships and also to give the correct information about the travel. Unfortunately, it does happen that you are in Ushuaia at the pier. You go to a normal trip to the peninsula and you have a guest coming full of excitement saying, I look so much forward to see an emperor penguin where you already want to jump overboard because you know, <laughs> not <laughs> going to make that guy happy. Huh? That is not possible because the chances are so slim and that person is really on the uh, on the wrong itinerary in this way. And it's impossible for the team to fulfill this one and takes a lot of effort to put that straight without making marketing look not so good. So, so you have a fine line also uh, with your company colleagues. And actually, there is a challenge for the ships that we cannot do so much about, and that's weather. I mean, we are operating in areas where we have extreme weather conditions, and uh, it has a big impact uh, on the guests. If I, for example, have to leave from Ushuaia a day late because the port is closed due to weather, well, you have to be very honest. You have to give also maybe negative news to say, okay, I'm making new itineraries all the time, but we have a day shorter. So that is also that comes in. And maybe also uh, last for the challenges, uh, which is a big one. And it's very important to set the expectations in a way right on one of the first meetings that the guests are still excited about the trip but I figured out over the years that underselling is much better. In, for example, when I go to South Georgia, I will tell the guests, look, this is my plan. This is what we want to do with you. This is the time we have. Hopefully we can do all of these activities, maybe 10. I show. But then I tell already, but if we can do six, we are already very lucky. So that the guest has already heard that not everything goes to plan like a normal life maybe, there will be changes, but that they rest assured that every expedition team, every captain, every officer will make sure that they have the best experience possible. So it is a big challenge and some things you can influence and uh, some not so much. Okay, well, I think that's a very fair and honest answer. And I could imagine that, or I will imagine that your experience both on land and at sea helps you deliver the message in a very measured way. And I'm assuming you've learned a lot over those years on how to handle these expectations. Oh, definitely. You also learn by mistakes sometimes. No, no, you know. Of course. Yeah. Hindsight is a wonderful thing. <laughs> <laughs> how do you, as an expedition leader, arrange landings to give everyone the best possible experience? The thing is that I work on a small size vessel, uh, back to the roots. I worked on other ships before. And that is actually something very easy. Speaking of experience, because with a team, you know within a day or two what the guests are interested in and where this group uh, has a specific uh, interest. So every trip is different and you can adjust your trip. And 
for example, on a small ship, I can see, okay, here we have a group of people that are really fit. They want a big hike. That's what they want. Then we have a group that maybe wants a two-hour walk, a little bit hike with uh, maybe the geologist. You have the people that want to stay maybe at the beach uh, and uh, just be with a photographer. You have kayak operations running and you have Zodiac shuttles, you have Zodiac cruises. So I think a ship size is very important uh, also to get what you want. And it is possible on a small ship to to satisfy people. I strongly believe in it, especially when you run so many activities. I should imagine. And what is the biggest challenge when ashore? I mean, when you're actually physically ashore, assuming the weather's wonderful, the passengers are happy, they're seeing some of the images that they saw in the brochure. What is the biggest challenge uh, when you're actually there? Actually, you mentioned and you said the weather is nice, but actually for me, that is one of the biggest challenges uh, because especially in Antarctica, weather can, can change like this and you have to be always prepared. So for me, safety is always, I must really say, the, the priority of every landing in the polar regions. If you are in the Arctic, well, you have to think about the polar bears that could come around the corner. If you are in Antarctica, it is really the weather. And keep in mind that you have five, six, seven different activities running at the same time. So you have to trust your team. But of course, you have the overview of, as an expedition leader. And when I'm in the field, it's 100% focus from the time I go out with the first boat until the last Zodiac with the last driver is back on board just to, to make sure everything runs very quickly. But the challenge is also that the guest does not realize how much thinking is going on in the head of all expedition team members, all involved, but that they have the experience, but still that they trust you, that you take the safety issue, especially in expedition cruising, very, very serious. I can imagine. Anya, I've never been on an expedition cruise, so <laughs> where would you recommend I go for my first such experience and why? Well, first of all, we need a deeper talk, I think, uh, okay. about it nations <laughs> so that we okay. can really, uh, meet them and what you want to see. But I know you're in the UK, so in Europe. And for people in Europe, I must say, I usually recommend Svalbard for a few reasons. Once, it is quite close by, so it's not a very long uh, flight. You have fascinating landscape. You have a scenery that you haven't seen before, glaciers, icebergs. There's a great potential to see good wildlife. And in addition, there are not many sea passages. So you can see if it's something that you enjoy. And if then people enjoy usually the Arctic, we will see them back in Antarctica. I have had the pleasure of being a land passenger in uh, Svalbard. I know a little bit about it, but I've never experienced sailing around the seas there. So, um, so thank you for that tip. And finally, can I ask you, um, obviously with all your experience that you have and continue to have, do you think expedition cruising will look the same as it does today in, say, 10 years' time? Definitely not. I mean, it is already changing constantly all the time. It is a product that is adapting to the markets, uh, of course, and you see such a growth in the industry. I think the changes will, for example, be what can we offer to the clients because you have more and more ships coming, but many people don't know that actually as an operator, I only know maybe four or five months in advance of my trip what I can do because only then I'm able to go into booking systems, for example, for Antarctica, for the Arctic. I think that will change. And there are not so many places 
where you can land, for example, in Antarctica. So you will see a change in the thinking. And that also has to do with marketing, again, sales. We are not looking into two landings a day, which is the traditional way of thinking, but two activities. And a Zodiac cruise can be fantastic. A ship cruise can be absolutely amazing. And many people really enjoy, especially the Zodiac cruise for two, three hours greatly and also not need a landing all the time. That I think that will strongly change the focus of what an expedition is. And I also think there are going to be more toys and more gadgets, you know, the submarines and people want to experience maybe something different. Uh, so that will definitely come. However, that will also mean that I think the rules and regulations are going to be tighter because the more ships are in the area, the more gadgets, the more potential things can happen. The industry will look much stricter into uh, the guidelines and to make sure that wildlife is protected. And that's a priority today. And I hope that will stay the same in the future. So as you heard, while the paths to becoming an expedition leader are often different, the challenges that they face in the field are common and the role they play in not only meeting but exceeding guest expectations is invaluable. Expedition Cruising will be featured in the conference programme at the upcoming Sea Trade Cruise Global 2021, so be sure to check out how to participate either in person or virtually at www.seatradecruiseglobal.com. For more content, visit seatrade-cruise.com forward slash seatrade-cruise-talks. You can follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening and goodbye.